Well, next Sunday, as you've heard, we're going to be baptizing. And as you also heard, if you have trusted Christ for your eternity by turning from your sins, by receiving from him his imputed righteousness, as we have studied about all through our uh, time in this book of Romans, then we want to invite you to publicly profess your faith with us. And because of that baptism that's coming, I've been thinking this week about baptism, about how baptism Sundays are always among my favorite Sundays uh, to be, favorite days to be a pastor. Whenever we baptize, one of the things that happens for pastors is uh, we just get to see up close and personal how God is changing lives. And I often find myself (laughs) just wiping away tears as people are baptized and and just thinking to myself, this is why I'm a pastor. This is why I've given my life to serve God in this way. I I love seeing God transform lives through a relationship with Jesus. And, And some of you really don't understand this because you think it must be easy to work at the church, you know, where the angels fly around all the time. But oftentimes a pastor's life um, can be pretty painful because pastors regularly deal with people's problems. You all don't show up here on church property during the week to tell us about your promotions and about the great special things happening in your life. It's just kind of not the way it usually works. And, And pastors regularly deal with death and divorce and depression and abuse. Sometimes in the same week. But there is nothing, nothing better than seeing up close, just a couple of feet away, someone professing their faith in Jesus for the first time. It's just a great joy to see the Holy Spirit working, bringing about new life, just like right in front front of your eyes. And and you know that you're witnessing something supernatural, something eternal, something that's that's not like nothing else. And, and you know, it's it's always just kind of icing on the cake when, when I know that somehow in a certain case, I got to play a role. And you know, to think that words flowing from a human mouth land on a heart and change a life. It's just an amazing thing. In in other words, there really is nothing more incredible than being a part of God's supernatural work in seeing uh, an eternal soul saved. And that's really what our text is about this morning, Romans 10, verses 13 through 21. It's a passage that highlights the beauty of evangelism. And if you were here last week, you'll know that Paul explained, we saw um, how we are saved. And this week, it's really about how God saves people. Last week was about receiving salvation. But today, it's about how God uses people like us to tell other people the message. And so if the gospel is glorious, and we believe it is, and if its message is wide open to anyone who would respond, and that's what the Bible tells us, then, then how does the gospel get out to those people? How does that happen? And, and so our passage today is going to talk to us about the beauty of the gospel. It's going to talk to us about God's method for getting the gospel out. And it's going to talk to us about some of the challenges that we always face as we share the gospel. And if your Bibles aren't already open 
to Romans 10. I encourage you to do that right now. Romans 10, uh, we're going to read our text, verses 13 through 21. This is what Paul writes. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And this is the word of the Lord. And God's people say. So last week, if you're here, you'll remember we ended with verse 13. And this week, uh, that's where we're going to start. And the reason is, uh, verse 13 is this important transitional verse. It actually links last week's passage with the passage we're looking at today. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at it, beginning with it. And, and here's the first of three things you can write down. Verse 13 talks to us about the, the foundation of getting the gospel at how God saves people. And it's this basic truth, we all need to be saved. That's fundamentally what, what Paul is telling us in this verse. We just need to be saved. He quotes, and maybe you notice this in your notes, from the prophet Joel. This is chapter 2, verse 32. And he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is one of the most astonishing, one of the most hope-filled passages really in all of the Bible. Every word here, every phrase is just dripping with meaning. So let's just walk through it. First of all, we all need to be saved. Paul is saying all of us, he's not talking about certain kinds of people that they need to be saved. He's not saying that, you know, the, the, the people who are having a hard time, the people who just can't quite make it like some of the rest of us in life, you know, on their own, those who are failing. No, everyone needs to be saved. That's what Paul's saying. Saved from what? Well, you look back in Romans, you look across the, uh, the Bible, and the Bible tells us we've been saved from the guilt of our sin. We've been saved from slavery to sin and slavery to shame. We've been saved from God's just wrath, from death and from hell. We are saved from some realities. But not only that, Paul and others tell us that we are saved to some incredible realities. We are saved to abundant eternal life. That's what salvation means. Paul in Romans especially tells us we are saved to be counted righteous. We are saved to be adopted as God's beloved children. We are saved, the Bible says, to joy and to peace and to hope and to meaning and to purpose. And it's all through faith in Jesus Christ. So who is this salvation for? Again, it's for everyone. Everybody say everyone. 
It's for everyone. No one is left out. Maybe someone needs to hear this today. You're not left out. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've failed to do. You, you can get in on this. You can be saved. It's not about measuring up. It's not about uh, checking boxes. You know, it's so interesting when, when people hear this message of grace, how they respond. The people who are, you know, stuck in their self-righteousness, they think, well, of course God would save me. Well, at the same time, those who are wallowing in their guilt, they, they, they think God would never save me. And you know what? There are people in both of these places right now. You need to hear everyone can be saved. We all need to be saved. Salvation is for everyone. It's for the self-righteous and it's for the unrighteous. No one is left out. And this is not like so many think about measuring up. We don't. It is not about jumping through hoops. It's not about climbing ladders. It's not about cleaning yourself up, you know, so you're worthy enough. We can't. This salvation tells us and shows us that we cannot get to God. And that's why God came to us and he came in the flesh in Jesus to seek the lost, to bring the lost home to him. It's about being saved. And I hope you're being reminded right now there is no other message like this message. We need to be saved. How? Paul says, call. You call on the name of the Lord. It's real simple. You turn from your sins and you turn to Jesus in faith and you you cry out to him as Savior and Lord. Stop thinking about cleaning yourself up first if some of you are here doing that right now. I'll call on Jesus, you know, when I get my, my act better together. Stop. Just call on the name of the Lord. That's how you're you're saved. If you think you're gonna, you got to get better before you come, I'm going to tell you something. You're never going to come. Just come now. Call on the name of the Lord. Uh, that's what we need to, to do. If you're wondering, well, if I do this, if I call on him, how can I be sure he'll answer? Well, God says we will be saved. It's a promise. You see that in the language? On the authority of God In his word, God promises to save you if you call on the name of his son in faith. Everyone needs to be saved. To be saved means we have this whole new kind of life. It's a a relational reality with God. It means that, you know, we have this new love for Jesus. This new love for God's word. We have a new people that we get to belong to, brothers and sisters In Christ, we're going to spend eternity with. We have a new battle against the sin in our lives that only hurts us and damages us. We have new promises of God to live by. This is a relational reality. You know, I I say that because sometimes we we kind of talk like and think like being saved is a transaction. You You do something, you give God something, he gives you something back. It's not a transaction. It's a transfer. It's a transfer out of the kingdom of death and darkness and a transfer into the light, a transfer into the life of God that lasts forever. It's a transfer from being dead in your sins to being made alive by the Spirit of God, which Jesus calls being born again. See, it's not like, you know, signing up for some, you know, group. 
getting on an email list or something like that so you get some benefit, supposedly. It's not like renewing your Costco membership. It's not a transaction. It is a transfer, a living, a breathing, supernatural reality. You're now a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. Do you see that? We all need to be saved. And this reality needs to be pressed down up on our hearts before we're going to ever really get what he's going to say in the verses that are ahead of us. Maybe some of you are here and you're not really convinced and you're, you're listening, you're asking questions, maybe you're seeking, and maybe you hear this and you're thinking, well, why are you saying we need to be saved? It sounds a lot like, I don't know, ancient superstition. You know, we're modern people. We know better because, like, we have Instagram and TikTok now. We know better than this. Isn't this just like fear-mongering, scaring people? I would respond by saying, well, is it? I mean, I think if we're honest with ourselves, when we go to bed at the end of the day and we lay our head on a pillow and we stare up at the ceiling and we're thinking about the world we live in, we know. We, we, we know we need to be saved, right? We, we, we know that we, we live in this world and it is so beautiful and at the same time it's so broken, just like we are. See, we have dignity and beauty, the Bible tells us, because we are made in God's image and our world is filled with dignity and beauty because it was created by God and yet, and yet, not is all right. Something's wrong. When we, we, we look at the world, we know the world is not right. We know we're not right. We know something's wrong. I mean, just think about where we live. We live in the wealthiest, the most technologically advanced, the most scientific, most educated, uh, you know, nation really in the history of humanity. And yet at the same time, our lives are filled with more depression and more suicide and more anxiety, more relational division, more confusion about what it means to, to be a man or a woman, what it means to be married or, or married, all of these things and so much more, more of all of this than ever before. And some people will say, well, I, I just think we need more wealth and we need more education and we need more science and tech and we need more politics. <laughs> And, you know, if we get all of that, then we'll arrive. But that's not being intellectually honest. If, if you've read anything about history over the last 200 years, you can go back to the beginning of the last century, the 20th century, and people everywhere, educated people were saying, it's arrived, we're here, the world is, you know, in front of us, good things are going to happen, you know, we, we know so much as we're turning the clock over to 1900, and guess what happens in the next 100 years, the, the 20th century, mankind slaughters millions more people than mankind has ever killed before. The bloodiest, most violent century in the history of our world. And who knows what the rest of this century holds. I mean, I think if we're being honest, it doesn't look a whole lot better. You know, see, we, we, we think we need more of these things, but we already have so much of them and we're not getting better. And we need to see that those things cannot cure the human predicament because we're the problem. We need to be saved. We need someone outside of ourselves to come 
and to save us. And God has come and he has offered salvation. And salvation, God says, is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. By Jesus, we are saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's what Paul is talking about here. And I hope I got you a little fired up as we get ready to go to the rest. Is anybody fired up today? All right. All right. Before we get to the rest of this, because some of you are going to go, I'm not so fired up after I hear the next part. But I want you to start off fired up, all right? So this is the reality. We need to be saved. So the, the question then follows, well, how does God do that? How does the word get out? And that's what Paul tells us in uh, the next few verses, starting in verse 14. He, he shows us the, the method that God works through us to save his people. See, this is what has to happen, in other words, for someone to be saved. I want to just walk through these verses with you. Verse 14, again, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how can unbelievers call on Jesus? And the only way they can believe on him, in other words, have faith in him, Paul is saying, is if they have an opportunity to do that. So how can they do that if no one's given them the opportunity. And then he continues, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So you can't put your faith in Jesus if you have never even heard of Jesus. Do you realize there are, even in this day, thousands of people groups around our world, more than a couple of billion people out of this world's population live in a place where they've never heard even the name of Jesus. Paul continues, how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, they're never going to hear unless someone tells them about Jesus. In other words, Paul is just saying, if you want to write it down, that's how it works. (laughs) That's how it works. God has ordained his gospel to spread through the mouths of his people. And that's us. Verse 15 says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? And uh, this word that's uh, translated sent is related to the word for apostle. It's the Greek verb apostello. And it, the idea here is God sending his people. And then, and then uh, Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he is now talking about the gospel. That's what the good news, the gospel that God has come in the flesh to seek and save the lost. He's come to bring us home to the God who made us and loves us by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. That's the good news. That's the good news. So track with Paul's logic. People can't call on Jesus without believing. They they can't believe if they've never heard of Jesus They can't hear without a gospel messenger, and messengers can't proclaim unless they're sent. This is God's plan. This is God's method. Jesus sends out messengers who proclaim, and as people hear, hearers will believe. Believers call on the name of the Lord, and those who call are saved. And you might say, this is, if you want it summed up in a you know, really easy to remember package. This is the five steps of salvation, sending, preaching, hearing, believing, calling. See, if messengers 
aren't sent in the beginning, people will never call on Jesus in the end. That's Paul's logic. And, and this is meant... This is meant not to just be information for you. This is meant by Paul to press in on us the weighty responsibility that is ours as gospel messengers. Paul wants us to hear what he's saying and think if we don't go, the rest doesn't happen. That's why I think Paul, by quoting Isaiah, it's why he calls the feet of gospel messengers, beautiful. You ever read that verse and thought, that's weird? Because most people don't see feet as beautiful, right? I mean, if I told everybody to take your shoes and your socks off right now and show your feet to your neighbor, yeah, it would get really awkward in here, wouldn't it? We don't think of feet as beautiful. And I think that's part of why Paul uses that as his analogy. You see, what makes feet beautiful is not their appearance, but it's what these feet carry. And there is no cargo more precious, more life-changing, more soul-thrilling than the good news of Jesus And that means then that any feet that carry this message, even the most callous, dirty, leathery, wrinkly, covered with things I won't mention, worn out feet, even those, all of those, they're they're beautiful feet if they carry the gospel. These feet carry news, unlike any other news, news that changes lives, news that transforms families. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Your family has never been the same, never will be the same because of this gospel, amen? Amen. News that brings everlasting peace and joy. These feet carry news that leads to indestructible peace and hope to to strength and courage even in the midst of suffering these feet may be wearing sandals as they like trek off into remote places where the gospel has never been taken before they just be maybe wearing nikes you know when they go to the gym or maybe it's business shoes during a business lunch or it's boots on a weekend hike with friends but feet that carry the gospel are always beautiful and that's what isaiah is talking about Precious people with a precious message. Beautiful feet. Now, one of the things I want to point out here is you shouldn't hear this word preach and think this doesn't apply to you. I I told you you wouldn't like what I was going to be saying to you. This applies to all of us. Paul's not just talking about pastors and missionaries. This word preach... Um, we, we've kind of relegated it to a certain context like what's happening right now in a place like this done by a person like me. But that's not what the word means. It, it just means to announce. It means to proclaim. It, it just means to speak out the gospel. And all God's people everywhere are called to do that, to make known the gospel to others in their daily lives. So you're called to preach 
and you're also sent. Don't say to yourself, I'm not sent. I want you to hear when you read this, these words, these are your feet. They're, they're your feet. Do you know the treasure that is yours in the gospel? Don't, don't say, I'm not sent. Instead, say like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Lord, here am I, send me. Think about where God wants to send you right now in your life this week. Send me, God. Maybe it's to my neighbor across the street. Maybe it's to that person that I've been waving hello to in my apartment complex. Lord, send me. Maybe it's to that coworker that I have coffee with sometime during the week. Send me, Lord, as I just live my life every day. Tracy, Mountain House, Lathrop, wherever you live. Send me with my email. Send me with my social media apps. Whatever you do, however you live, send me. These are your feet. They're your feet as you walk into that hospital where you work as a nurse or an administrator. These are your feet as you tomorrow walk into that Silicon Valley tech office building. These are your feet as you walk into the school where you teach or students, the school where you go to class. And these are all of our feet in that moment when we swallow hard as God opens a door for us to share with that one that we're praying for that we want so much to see come to faith in Jesus. These are our feet. God's ordained method to get the gospel out is through his people taking it across the street, taking it around the world, human feet, human vocal cords, human mouths, and human courage. There are God-ordained vehicles for the spread of the gospel to the nations. And I just want to bring this home. I want to remind you of a reality that I'm confident is true in virtually everyone here, okay? I want you to wake up if you're not awake right now and get ready to raise your hand. And here's the question. I want you to raise your hands. Any one of you who has come to faith in Christ because another person communicated the message to you. doesn't matter if it's a pastor or a parent or a friend, anybody like that. If a person told you the message, stick your hand up real high right now and just look around here. And even I would say if you don't think it was a person because maybe you read it in a book or maybe you watched something on TV or you watched a YouTube, uh, that was a person who wrote that book, right? And that was a person who was speaking on whatever video you watched. That is how the gospel gets across. And it's not a coincidence. This is how it works. God works through us to get his message out to save his people. And so if you've never thought about this before, I just want to encourage you right now, uh, and if you're taking notes, write something about this down, to see your feet as beautiful, not because of some arbitrary external human standard of beauty, but because of the message that they carry that you take to others. See, the most valuable thing about you is not your resume, not your achievements, your natural gifts. In Christ You have been bought by the blood of Christ, and you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have been entrusted with the incomparable news of the gospel, and it's a treasure, and you should treasure it. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but I want you to hear this. Part of following Jesus is waking up every morning and reminding your heart of how precious the gospel is. 
So let me ask you, who is Jesus sending you? Who is Jesus sending you to with the gospel? You're willing to write anything down? You're willing to write that question down and think about it if you don't have a name right now? See, don't, don't, don't worry about whether or not you have all the right answers. Just love people. Just listen to people. Just ask them questions. And as you're doing all those things, pray that God opens up just natural ways for you to talk with them about the most significant things that human beings can ever talk about, like why we are here and and, and where we find meaning and purpose and about the reality of the living God and, And how we know where we stand with him and how we receive his love and his grace and his mercy. And what happens after we we die. And I just want to tell you, people out there who don't know Jesus are dying to talk about all of those things. And they don't know who to ask and they don't know how to bring it up. They don't know what to think. And God puts you in their life to help them with that. Maybe, I don't know, you're here and you're checking Christianity out. You're exploring faith. You're wondering who Jesus is. And maybe you're thinking, you know, honestly, for me, Jesus is very attractive. But I'm just kind of curious. I'm just wondering, is this a safe place for me? Is it okay for me to come to this church and not, like, know where I've landed? I mean, is it okay for me to have questions and doubts? And as a pastor, I want to say on behalf of this church family, the answer is yes. Yes. That's why we're here. So we, we, we understand, we know that the claims of Christianity and Jesus are extraordinary. We believe that Christianity is the truth of the universe, and that's so big, so enormous, it's going to come with questions, right? And we believe that Jesus is a treasure and the gospel is a treasure, and we believe there's no better place to explore and unpack the person and work of Jesus and the gospel than among his people. So make yourself at home. And ask your questions. And let's, as Southwinds, let's do our best to be patient and gracious and grace-filled people. Now, if you're reading through this text, verse 16 kind of interrupts the flow of verses 14 and 15 as Paul adds that Israel has generally rejected the gospel. So I'm going to move it a little bit farther down the road here and go to uh, verse uh, 17. And in verse 17, Paul shifts and kind of sums up the line of his thoughts so far. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing uh, through the word of Christ. And really, this is kind of a summary statement in the flow of his argument. He's, He's just highlighting a crucial principle, how life works. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. So if you want to grow your faith, pay attention. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Well, what is the word of Christ? Well, this is the only place in the New Testament we find this phrase, but it's really not a mystery. The context makes it really clear. Uh, The word of Christ is the preaching that he's been speaking about. It's the gospel. It's the same gospel that Paul's been unpacking through all of Romans. It's the word that he was talking about back in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter where he says the word is near you. And then at the end of those verses he says the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so... The word of faith 
in verse 8 is the word of Christ in verse 17. And by calling this word, the gospel, the word of faith, Paul is underscoring the the need for faith, for living trust in Jesus. By calling it the word of Christ, he's underscoring the unchangeable content of the gospel. It's the word about Christ. You could translate that, the Greek here, that way, the word about Christ. So faith comes from hearing that word. Faith comes from hearing the gospel about Jesus' saving work on the cross, how Jesus has risen from the, the, the grave. And Paul is just saying there is no salvation apart from hearing that gospel. I mean, think about that. It is true, we know this, that occasionally... Uh, People have dreams about Jesus that opens their heart to the gospel, especially in closed countries. But the usual way that God spreads the gospel is through people proclaiming it, through people hearing it. And Paul is just saying people will not be saved apart from that. That's the way that Christians have operated for 2,000 years now. And let's just remind ourselves, that's why we are here, Southwinds. We are here to tell people the word of faith. We are here to tell people the word of Christ. And I think you'll understand this verse even more deeply if you see that while narrowly this word of Christ is the gospel, forgive Jesus forgiving sinners, reconciling them to God by grace through faith, you can also understand this principle more broadly that it can refer to the whole Bible because really the whole Bible is an expansion of all of the themes that converge in on and, and pour out of the gospel. And what that means is God's word written in the Bible is essential to building our faith. No one can learn what the gospel teaches on their own. You can't figure it out from nature or human philosophizing. It has to be revealed to us in God's word. And so it's just saying from start to finish, uh, the, the, the conduit of faith is the word of Christ that reveals the reality of Christ. And so that tells us faith comes from hearing the word of God initially. And also it tells us, and this is important for those of us who are already believers right now, it tells us that ongoing faith comes from hearing the word. In other words, faith grows through hearing the gospel. See, Paul is not merely saying that's what happens when you begin your relationship with the Lord. He is telling us that's the way your relationship with the Lord unfolds and and, and walks itself out. And so, listen, if you want your faith to grow, If you want your faith to deepen, you have to spend regular, consistent time in God's word, asking God's spirit to meet you there. And if you don't want to do that, one surefire way to shrink your faith and to dry up your faith is to not spend time in God's word. Anybody know that from experience? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We have to place ourselves in the stream of God's Word, otherwise our faith is going to dry up. And, you know, I, I think some of us, we, we kind of think that faith is this thing that kind of comes and goes. It's here sometimes, it's not here other times, like it's out of our control. Sometimes we have faith, sometimes we don't. Now, yes, saving faith is a gift in the sense that God graciously opens our eyes to see, but, but faith 
ongoing, it's not only a gift, it's a stewardship. The experience of faith that you have is not either just you have it or you don't. It does fluctuate sometimes. That's normal. But how you respond to that is what matters. Are you feeding your faith? Are you letting God's word grow and deepen your faith? Some of you are struggling right now, and maybe, maybe you need to hear the word from Jude. Uh, Jude, verse 22, says, be merciful to those who doubt. And he's talking about Christians. Or maybe you need to be reminded of the man who cried out to Jesus in Mark 9, 24, when he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And see, so while we should be merciful to ourselves when we doubt, like not give ourselves too hard of a time, we must also remember that we are not at the mercy of our doubts. Do you hear that? We should be merciful to ourselves and our doubts, but we always need to remember that we are not at the mercy of our doubts. And some of you live at the mercy of your doubts. And you don't need to. See, we can play this role in stewarding our faith and cultivating our faith and helping our faith grow. So if faith comes from hearing, then we need to be hearing the word of Christ. We need to be hearing truth, not lies. We need to be hearing things that build faith, not tear it down. And we're always listening to something. We're always being discipled by someone. You know that, right? That would be a good thing for some of us to remember this week as we are endlessly scrolling on our social media it's discipling you to think certain ways you need to be discipled by the word of God you need to read God's word and not just think you're checking off a box because you got a list of bible readings and you got to get through the list like this year and if you don't read the whole bible this year then maybe Jesus isn't going to love you anymore that's not how you're supposed to live we need to think of Reading God's word is spending time being discipled by, by Jesus, allowing him to teach us and deepen us and grow our faith. Is your faith faltering? Is your faith failing? Maybe because of the words you're hearing, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And here's the third thing. The third thing I want you to see is this reality that anyone can be saved, but not everyone listens. And we see that in verses 16 and then 18 through 21. And Paul is just addressing this reality really all of through Romans 9 through 11. We've been talking about it in a number of ways, how, how God's people, Israel, they failed to believe in God's Messiah, Jesus. In verse 16, this is Paul uh, quoting back from Isaiah 53, 1. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And we learn in these last verses that people often resist the gospel. Anybody notice that? Paul's real frank about this. He's honest about this reality. People resist the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised. Notice that, that word obeyed. Anybody notice that? Obeyed the gospel? It's not a word we usually put alongside the gospel. But it tells us that merely hearing the gospel is not enough. It tells us the gospel requires a response. It tells us that it requires us to do something. We saw, maybe you remember back in verse 3, that the Jews did not submit to God's righteousness. And you put this together with this verse, and it tells us that failing to believe in Christ is more than just not believing. It's actually rebelling. Rebelling. 
It's refusing to respond to what God, the creator of the universe, has said. See, the gospel is not just advice that you can take or leave. It's not suggestions. The gospel is good news, an announcement that the living God, the king of kings, the, the God uh, of the universe, who created the universe, he has come and salvation is now available to anyone everywhere if we repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus, God's son. If we give our lives to him, we can know salvation and it is an act of obedience. And when we refuse to obey God's gospel, to respond to God's gospel, it is, it is disobedience to the gospel. In verses 18 and 19, Paul asks two questions about his people Israel. The first is, did Israel not hear? Verse 19, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's quoting from Psalm 19. The answer is, yes, they did hear. And Paul is just saying, their unbelief is not because they didn't hear about Jesus or not because they didn't know the scriptures. They, they knew God's promises that he was going to include all the nations. That's not why. The second question is, did Israel understand? The idea here is, well, okay, maybe they heard, but they just didn't get it. And Paul again responds to that. And he says, no, they knew. They understood because God revealed that this would happen. And Paul says it's all through the Old Testament, God, God uh, revealing you know, hints that one day a day would come when the nations, the Gentiles, would flood into God's kingdom and Israel would become jealous. The inclusion of the nations, Jesus coming as Messiah to the whole world, this wasn't like plan B for God because plan A didn't work. It was part of his plan all along. Verse 19 says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And say, God's talking there about us. We're the foolish nation. We're the Gentiles. He says, Israel should, Paul says, Israel should have understood from these prophecies, from, from day one, that the Gentiles would one day believe. And then in verse 20, he, he, he's quoting again from the prophet Isaiah. This is from chapter 65, verse 1. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Verse 21, Paul turns it back to Israel. He's quoting verse 2 of chapter 65 in Isaiah. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Israel had heard, Paul says, that one day God would extend salvation to the nations. They understood what they heard. And yet when the Messiah came to do that, they refused to believe. And that's Paul's emphasis here, their, their refusal to believe. And it's something we need to hear today too, because some of us maybe think, maybe it's you today who think that hearing's enough. You've heard the message. You've listened to enough sermons you know the truth, but Paul's saying hearing is not enough. If you have not responded in faith from your heart, if you've not given your life to Jesus, then hearing is not enough. Hearing will not save you. We must respond with personal trust, what the Bible calls faith. There's something else in these references to the prophet Isaiah 
that we need to hear as Christians. We're reminded about Isaiah's calling. And if you go back to Isaiah's call to ministry, it's found in Isaiah 6. Maybe you remember the story how Isaiah sees God in his incredible holiness. He's overwhelmed and, and, and he responds with repentance, and then he responds to God, call to serve him, and, and God tells Isaiah he's going to serve him, and he tells him what kind of ministry he's going to have. He says it's going to be a hard ministry. God says, Isaiah, your entire ministry will be preaching to people who will not respond. In verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, they're going to keep on hearing but not understand. They're going to keep on seeing, but they're not going to perceive. And, I, and God tells Isaiah, that's what it's going to be like, but you have to continue. You can't stop. You can't quit. You have to continue preaching my message, Isaiah. And Isaiah says, how long? And God says, until judgment comes. Until the cities lie waste. Until they are without inhabitant. That's what it says in Isaiah 6. Isaiah's ministry was one of faithful preaching and fruitless results. And I want to leave us with two thoughts that are very relevant for us in our lives today. The first one is this. The gospel is worth proclaiming regardless of the response. See, we can pray... For people, and we can long for people to respond to the gospel. But I want to tell you today the gospel is worth sharing, even if they never respond. Because the gospel is beautiful. And this is an important truth because some of us decide sometimes whether or not we're going to share because we're assessing the probability or the improbability is that person going to respond? And if we think, nah, they're never going to respond. We don't think we should bother. I'm telling you the gospel is worthy of proclaiming regardless of the response. And our primary motivation for sharing the gospel needs to be the beauty of the gospel, not whether or not we think somebody's going to say yes. And this should encourage some of us who are here in this room, who have prayed for years, maybe even decades for someone in when you look at them, you just think they're just too stubborn. They're too hard-hearted. They're too resistant. And you feel like giving up. And this word says, don't give up. Keep telling. Keep proclaiming. Because this beautiful gospel is always worth proclaiming. And then second, we see that God is working out his sovereign plan. And we have no idea what season of life that God has chosen for us. You know, when you look at Isaiah's life, you should ask a what if question. And that question is, what if God gave you a calling like Isaiah's? How long would you last? See, we, we have no idea what God is doing, even when it seems like nothing is happening. I think a lot of you know that I, I did PhD work in in church history, and there's a lot of stories I love. And one of my favorites is about a man named Adoniram Judson. And uh, he was called uh, from this country to be a missionary in the 1800s to Burma, now Myanmar. He served there for 40 years. To read his story, it was this incredibly difficult journey, months and months on a boat just to get there. During the course of his missionary service, he buried three wives 
And in the first 18 years of his work, do you know how many converts he saw? Only 12. And yet, decades later at his death, there were over 100 churches. There were over 8,000 converts in an area of the world that had never before heard the gospel because of the faithful relentlessness of one person named Adoniram Judson. And we need to be careful not to make quick assessments of how God is working and how God is using. We have no idea what he's up to. And so if you have someone in your life who is resistant and stubborn and hard-hearted, it feels like they're beyond the reach of the gospel, come back to Romans 10 and be reminded that you can rest in God's sovereign purposes and trust him and obey him and just wait on him and just watch and see what he does. This is how God saved people. He does it through people like us. And he does amazing things when his people trust him. So let's be the kind of people who serve him faithfully, who see the beauty of the gospel and tell others about it because there's nothing better in this world that we can share with other people. I just want to ask you, Southwind, don't you want to be that kind of a person? Don't you want to be that kind of church? A church in love with Jesus? A church entranced? By the beauty of the gospel, a church where by God's grace, we we see people who hear the gospel and obey the gospel and they come to faith in Jesus and we get to see new life, new life. God wants that not just for pastors. God wants that for every one of us. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray and we're going to. Celebrate the Lord's Supper together as God's people. Father, we ask that as we prepare to celebrate your supper, as we prepare to remember what you have done for us in Jesus, your son, we ask that you would press in on our hearts the beauty of the gospel that we would thank you for what you've done in our lives and you would burden us, Lord, to tell others around us how good you are and how much you love them. Thank you, for Lord, for your patience. Thank you for providing for all of our needs. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus and we pray these things in his name and all God's people said.